Welcome to Transforming Experiences in Customer Success, formerly Strike Deck Radio. This is a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Medallia and the Success League. Medallia's customer success automation platform helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Success League is a consulting and training firm focused on developing customer success programs that drive revenue. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Transforming Experiences in Customer Success and the founder and CEO of the Success League. And today I'm joined by Gary Rubenstein, who is the Director of Customer Success in APAC for the recently public company WalkMe. We're going to be talking about how he has created an account planning approach for his team that is simple but incredibly successful, and he'll be sharing his approach with all of you. So Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me today. So Gary, tell me about your career path. How did you end up in customer success? I think um, I want to start by saying there's no one path to getting into customer success. Um, and I think we've heard that through through earlier episodes. And for me, like many others, it started in hospitality and quick service. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And then from there, I moved. <laughs> what was your worst hospitality job? My worst hospitality, definitely some of the, the some of the, I wouldn't say worst, but some of the shift the hours of the shifts that you had to work. Oh, yeah. The later ones were really were really challenging when you're in your early 20s and wanting to have a nightlife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I worked in a fabric store. That was a uh, fabric store. I did. I, that was my my biggest customer service job, and we I worked in a very fancy fabric store, and we had a lot of designers come in, and they were um, very uh, condescending. I guess is the best way to put it to a college student who was just trying to make a buck. So (laughs) yeah, that was, that was tough, but it taught me a lot. I think those hospitality and customer service jobs really teach you how to do this. Well, because you always have to be, you have to put on a good front and you have to make sure that the experience for the end, the person you're interacting with is the right one, irrespective of what's happening behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Keep going. All right. So from there, um, I was lucky enough to get into um, technology through one of the back office solutions that, that we were using um, where I was working and um, started implementing software into other hospitality organizations and um, got involved with implementation services, project management, support, requirements at gathering, BA, all that kind of stuff that we end up doing today as, as part of CS. Mm-hmm. Uh Next was was a bit of, you know, how do you change jobs and how do you move on to the next step? So I, I embarked right. on an MBA and um, they always say that MBA students either change jobs during the course or immediately after. And that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, moved to a great consultancy. Uh, I was there for, for nine years leading their, their business analysis and project management practices. But that's where yeah. I also got involved in um, more enterprise technology solutions as well as SaaS. Um, okay. So that was back in, you know, from 2007 where this whole industry was really um, taking off. And then mm-hmm. from there, a number of different SaaS companies, startups established, and now I'm fortunate to find myself at WalkMe. Well, and big congratulations to WalkMe on going public on June 16th, 2021, which as of this recording is just a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, can you tell me a little bit more about WalkMe and your mission and how your CS team is set up there? Yeah. So at WalkMe, we've identified that enterprises have tried to solve problems with apps for a long time. And yeah. if there's a task or problem, there's an app for that. But nobody <laughs> has thought about the problem of software adoption. And software tools right. are meaningless without the humans that use them. So right. WalkMe invented a digital adoption platform to make digital transformation more successful. So we're kind of like taking that GPS um, for software mm -hmm. that steers you towards the right ways of using the SaaS application um, the first time and every single time. So our mission at WalkMe is to fundamentally transform the productivity of humanity by, by harnessing the power of technology. Yeah. And the CS team, uh, I guess we're geo-structured, so we've got teams out of uh, North America, uh, EMEA, and also APAC. So I head up okay. the, the team here in Asia Pacific. What uh, what regions are you located in, in APAC? In APAC, so we have a, a standalone team who operate out of Japan uh, with okay. you know, the, the specialty and, and the, the domain expertise of, of that ge geography. Uh, for yeah. APAC, for me, um, it's everything. It's Australia, New Zealand, uh, Singapore. We also have um, customers in Malaysia, Philippines, uh, mm -hmm. Korea, um, okay. and so the, uh, quite a wide, quite a wide uh, geography yeah. that we're covering. Yeah, absolutely, and a lot of language in different languages in that area too. It, it's kind of challenging, I think, in APAC in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, somebody put, brought to my attention the other day that there are over nine different time zones and close to, <laughs> I think, two thousand languages. Once you look at some of the local dialects. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about your account planning approach. And what I love about it, you've gone over it with me, is that it's simple, but it's clever and really effective too. So before we get to your model, um, I want to talk about what drove you to build an account plan model in the first place. What problem were you trying to solve for your team? Um, so what I found was in 2020, we were doing a lot of account planning, a lot of internal business reviews. Every customer yeah. was... was important. We wanted to make sure that we were investing in them. And when we did those reviews, I felt that a lot of the templates that we were using internally were very traditional sales focused. It was how is the customer's um, organization structure? You know, what, mm -hmm. what's their, what, what industry are they in? Um, you know, when's their renewal? How can we grow them? And it was very much had that sort of sales focus to it. Um, mm -hmm. And I was sort of reflecting during that about uh, something that happened uh, that we got a presentation at sales kickoff uh, in 2020. We were fortunate enough to get that in before COVID hit. Oh, you were uh, so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck that in right at the beginning of the year, did you? <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, and we had the uh, an organization present to us, they're called Afterburner, and they're a whole bunch of US fighter pilots. Who oh, cool. Draw, yeah, they draw parallels between what they do and in the air and what we do in business uh, seems like a big stretch. Um, but it, it, it resonated with me because one of the things that they talked about was how as a fighter pilot, there are so many different gauges that they need to monitor when they're making yeah. sure, you know, the planes, altitudes, right, the horizontals and everything else. There's a whole bunch of them. And they challenged us to think about what gauges are important to our, to us as individuals and to our teams to make mm -hmm. sure, you know, like a fighter pilot that we don't crash our plane. And so putting those two together, I started coming up with, well, what are, what are the most important gauges that, that my CS team and including myself as an individual contributor needed to look at uh, to make sure that our accounts were healthy and that we could do a, an effective account plan 
um, that was more customer focused than sales focused. Um, so that's that's where the the concept came from, uh, and then it almost evolved in two parts. One was coming up with, I guess, some of the components, and then the other part was mm-hmm. the, the challenge of how do you actually operationalize that and turn it into something that can be used. Right. Okay. So let's um, let's start. Take us through each of the components of your account plan. So these are these are like then the dials on your dashboard, right? That that's right. So okay. Know, it's almost like the speedometer in your car. Um, yeah. So identified six. Um, okay. And uh, I guess at a high level, and I know we'll sort of spend some time going into it. First one for me was uh, vision and value. Then okay. there was usage and insights. Okay. Content maturity, engagement, which I've separated out from stakeholders and sponsorship. And then okay. finally, mutual success plan. Okay. So, so there's six altogether. Six altogether. Tell um, we're not going to go too deep on vision and values. What do you mean by that? Uh, for, for us, what we want to make sure that that people understand digital adoption and they have a vision okay. to sort of really take that on board and and um, and not you know and grow you know with us and, and across your organisation. I mean, you don't just adopt a, a platform once. There are always changes. Doesn't matter what. Uh, you know, CRM or HRM or other application you use, there's always iterative changes in those platforms and there's always changes in, in internal processes. So adoption is an ongoing thing and, and organizations that see that vision and understand that you know, there's a new way for people to adopt those technologies and, and working with us on that. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we touched on that because we're going to dig in on some of the other ones. Um, so it's basically, correct me if I'm wrong, um, how well they align with what you're trying to accomplish. It's what we're, comp- but also for, for themselves, right? Because at the end of the day, yeah. the success is really that they're using the underlying platform the way it was intended. We're just that, enable- we're that enabler. I mean, the way I like to think of it, I know we, we spoke about the GPS before, but I don't know how many of the listeners go 10 pin bowling, but if I could have those bumpers up every time and guarantee a strike, <laughs> then I would have them up every time. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to do around those other platforms that are otherwise not so easy to use. Yeah. Okay. So that aside, now I want to zero in on usage and insights. And I think that often, in my opinion, usage is overused as a health indicator in customer success. So how do you go about making sure that usage is actually relevant in the model that you've built? Yeah. I mean, for us, it's an interesting take on the world because usage is, um, has two sides and it, and it feeds a little bit into um, content maturity. But um, you know, usage is one people engaging with the content, um, uh-huh. but the other part is that you know is is on the other side of it, which is around making sure people are also reviewing the content and making sure it's current. Um, but some of the things that that we do uh, around usage is you know, we can you know, see how people are engaging with it. We have some very rich uh-huh. analytics to to see how people are engaging with the content, um, but we can also use our analytics to understand where some of the underlying processes in the applications, where, where the people are struggling with those, whether it be employees or, or external customers, we can also use the technology to, to glean insights into what, uh, you know, where the challenges are. So then that way um, we can have a look or the, the Walk Me user, um, builders can, can have a look and try and you know, overcome those roadblocks. Okay, that makes sense. 
Um, I think a really interesting part of your model too, in my opinion, is, is you kind of touched on this a minute ago, is that content maturity measure. Um, how does that work? And I think it's kind of unique in a way to walk me. Tell me more about that one. Yeah, so like we were sort of saying just before, uh, platforms evolve, processes evolve. Mm -hmm. And so the content that you put in front of people has to evolve. So if mm -hmm. your initial use case might have been a you know, digital transformation program, you're rolling out to a new application to, to the business. So there's definitely that onboarding piece of that new application. Mm -hmm. How do you train people and educate them to, to use the platform? But once they've done that, how do they then... Uh, what kind of content are you going to serve them? So that way right. they, they keep those bumpers on and get the strikes going <laughs> forward. You know, you don't want to see the day one instructions a hundred days in a hundred days time. You want right. to see fresher content, maybe a little bit lighter content, um, but it's still helping you at the time that you need that guidance and that support. So for us, there's always a need to have a look at it. Um, you know, there's something you might find some content is no longer relevant because it wasn't onboarding. So maybe you can, you know, archive that one but put something else up instead um so you do need to have a look at those i think at the end of the day you need to put your uh, a lens on that is very much in the mm -hmm. end users experience and saying what are my mm -hmm. end users struggling with and then how mm -hmm. can i help guide them to again use that underlying platform more effectively yeah i really i really like that one i think um you know, it won't look the same for every company, but there's probably something like that in every company that is important and relevant that could be used as a part of a model like this. Look, people like, whether you're writing a quick reference guide or doing a knowledge article on, on your intranet, mm -hmm. that content's equally going to get stale if the processes change or if the underlying platform changes. So there's right. always an element of refresh that needs to happen. Uh, what we're doing with WalkMe, though, is putting that content into the application as people are doing the processes so they don't have to go external. So we're just yeah. looking at it slightly differently. But either way, yeah. the content needs to be created. Yeah, I like that one. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you like Strike Deck Radio, I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast, Reading for Success. Reading for Success is a short weekly podcast where I review books and articles on customer success leadership, break them down for you, and help you figure out whether or not they are worth your time. We will also be featuring author interviews from time to time. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many of the other podcast platforms. I hope you'll join me for Reading for Success. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I love data. If you want to create a data-driven customer success program, StrikeDeck's Pro Guide to Customer Success is a report based on a preliminary study of 5,600 CS professionals from nearly 600 companies. It highlights the scope of customer success and offers valuable data points to help CS professionals enhance their initiatives. Get access to it now and let data drive your decision making. We'll add the link in the description of this podcast. And now back to today's episode. So Gary, two other parts of your model work really well together. One is engagement and stakeholders and the other is sponsorship. Can you talk a little bit more about what those two things mean and how they impact each other and why you need both? Yeah, this was a, a realization um, that came to me actually out of a, a couple of really bad examples. Um, 
and maybe I'll start with the bad examples first. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was tough because we, we, I was realized I realized that in some of our accounts we had lots of interactions, but we but we weren't necessarily interacting with the right people, and in other accounts we didn't have a lot of interactions, but they might have been higher up. And okay. I think with WalkMe, we need a little bit of both. We need a little yeah. bit of uh, deep, hands-on kinds of um, interactions as well as obviously the sponsorship and the senior level ones as well to make sure that you know renewals come in and potential growth and, and everything else. Yeah. Like not talking to the sponsors and economic buyers, we've got some challenges. So I decided to break out engagement to uh, the stakeholders and sponsorship. So for, for uh-huh. me, for engagement... Um, you know, something that that might be below par is is you know when an account when a customer doesn't know how to interact with us, they don't know how to interact okay. with support or how to interact with the the CS organization, and that goes all the way to you know a great engagement. So the dial's looking really good, where um, you know, they know how you know there's a regular cadence with the CSMs. They mm-hmm. know the difference between what a CSM does and our support team does. Uh, we, when we're moving towards that. You know, trusted advisor, strategic advisor mm-hmm. kind of thing. We've got those regular cadences going up. So, so that's you know, you know, from bad to to great. You know, and okay. then on the stakeholder side of things, you know, similar. You know, below par might be where you've got you know only one relationship or a relationship with a doer as opposed to necessarily with a you know with the economic buyer and executive sponsors. Um, and mm-hmm. then the gauges, you know, for me, go all the way up to where you've got a a, a good range of stakeholder interactions, um, mm-hmm. you know, across you know different levels, and not necessarily the three by three, but good enough that you feel confident that that you've got you know touch points at the different levels that we need it. And then also mm-hmm. where you know we always like our um, customers to be advocates for us and, and do references. So you know that's the sort of the extreme end of the scale there too. That's gravy. <laughs> It is, it is always gravy, but you've got to put it in the in, in the model, right? Like you've yeah, got to say, you like, do. so yeah. so you look at it and you go, well, how often am I engaging yeah. with customers or with the yeah. customer, and am I engaging with them on the right level? Um, and, and when you have a look at those two, it's not always they're not always aligned. You might be having a weekly cadence, but it's only with a low level um, person who's still very important, but you've got no interaction or you don't even know who the new buyer right. is because there's been a an org restructure and, and you don't know who to who to talk with on the next renewal. So I had to separate those out to make sure that we're we're acknowledging the hard work the CSMs are doing in their in their regular cadence, but also right. making them think about do they have the right relationships for the for ongoing. Right. Well and you you have to have both. I mean you really have to have both and it's hard. And no one said this job was easy. <laughs> So, uh, but, you know, I get a lot of complaints from CSMs where I'm hearing, um, you know, oh, well, I don't know, you know, how I'm going to keep two whole relationships going with a client. And it's like, well, they're, they're a different level of relationship. You know, you may not have to reach out to that stakeholder quite so often, but, um, you know, your, and, and your regular day-to-day contact is very important, but you have to have both. Those day-to-day contacts have to be satisfied with the relationship and the solution. And you also have to make sure that the stakeholder sees value. And without either one of those, there's a huge problem. Okay. No, I think I think they go hand in glove. Like if you don't have yeah. the, the people who you're dealing with on day-to-day, they become the influencers for the future renewals, for the growth and to that economic 
um, buyer or the executive sponsor, whatever you call it. But if you don't have the relationships across all those different levels, you know, then then the chances of succeeding uh, mm-hmm. is 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 weakened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I know um, there you have in your model something called a mutual success plan. Yes. Um, what are the components of that? Um, I don't want to say it's prescriptive because it's not. Uh, I think the the key here is in the first word being mutual. Um, there are things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are things that the customer and our customers want from us. And obviously, mm-hmm. there are things that we want from them, um, right. and, and we need to to work through both of those. Uh, so, I don't. We don't have, uh, or not yet, uh, a, prescript, a prescriptive way of doing it. But we definitely want to make sure, and I want to make sure my team uh, has some clear goals with the customer about what they're working on together, um, and that way that we can keep each other honest. So sometimes we have an ask of them. Uh, other times they have asks of us, and during those those frequent cadences and meetings, you know, making sure we're staying on top of those longer term objectives as well, and, and mm-hmm. making sure that those asks, you know, and, and the desires are going forward. So, yeah, it's not there. There isn't anything particular in there outside of it, making sure it's mutual and it's to mutual benefit. And and from my side, you know, and we go back to to where we started. The conversation today around you know, hospitality and customer-facing mm-hmm. jobs in the early days. Like we want to make sure our customers are happy. We want to make sure they're successful. And if they're successful, then as CSMs, we're successful. Um, and that's where the relationship flourishes and grows from there. So we need to make sure that a mutual success plan does have the customer's interest in mind and that we are focusing on what their outcomes are, yeah. even though there might be some underlying um, ulterior motives on our side. <laughs> I know it, it's a hard balance because of course we all have, I mean, we're, we're all doing what we do because we work for businesses and businesses are in the business of making money. Um, but you know, I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of in all of those internal goals, the goals of the customer and what they're trying to accomplish with your solution and why they bought it in the first place. And, you know, are they getting what they need out of it? So I love the idea of calling it a mutual success plan. I hear it called a success plan a lot. And then when I see it in action, it often is more like the internal plans that you have for your customer versus the plans that your customer has for your solution. Yeah. So I like that name a lot. And and the other thing that I'm making sure that we do is that we document it as well. Yeah. and I think that's an important step and it's a, it's a hard step because it, it really does. That's the plan help. bit of the plan. <laughs> Correct. And, and it holds Written everyone down. to account. Yeah, it does. So, you and the customer, you know, right. I mean, I think CSNs are great at holding themselves accountable for things, but customers also have to be accountable for their own success. And that's the flip side of this. That And that very much is because we're asked to help, but we're not empowered to do it on site. And be, and we're not right. their people. We're not their organisation. So right. yeah, it does need to be. There needs to be mutual interest and mutual outcomes, and, and this is a way of you know, helping keep everyone honest around that plan. Yeah, I love this. Um, this is a great model, and I really appreciate you sharing all of the details on this with the audience. I know this is a relatively new model for your team, but that you've had a pilot going for a while. So what are some of the early results that you're seeing? Yeah, so um, 
we managed to put all of those six dials onto one page and um, you know got the team you know, to, to sort of rank each of the dials for each of the accounts. Okay. Red, red cool. yeah, uh, amber, green. So that way they had already a starting mindset. Um, three bullet points, like I made it onto a slide, right? So it's really high-level yeah. executive statements. I saw your what... slide. It's very nice. It's clean. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea was <laughs> it, 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 there's so much thinking to go into that, to go into that high-level analysis. Yeah. Like you put a, a bullet point on there. It's like, why is it green? You know, I'm right. not asking people to write paragraphs of text, but they really have to think it through as well as how yep. to move the needle. Um, but once we did that, we presented the information to uh, the relevant members of the sales org, uh, pre-sales, as well as services uh, to talk through each of the accounts that are coming up, you know, future renewals and so forth, and to really use that as a way of aligning uh, cross-functionally uh, mm -hmm. around each of these accounts. And what I found was that there weren't too many questions after mm -hmm. presenting the slide. You know, we could have almost just given them the content on those on the, that one pager, and everyone yeah. would have had a view on what the accounts at. No questions, because it literally, it really is outside of saying what's your gut sentiment um, for the account when you roll it all up. It, it really is giving uh, our cross-functional teams a good sense of what's going on where the challenges are and how as a cross-functional um, group we can come together mm -hmm. to alleviate those those challenges mm -hmm. yeah i love that um so if someone wanted to implement a similar account planning program on their own team what should they take away from your model and then on the flip side what will they need to come up with on their own what is sort of specific to walk me about your program yeah, so I think there's enough generic content in there that it can be applied to, to other organizations. Uh, okay. So that, that's the starting point at a high level because when I thought this through, I was also reflecting on previous experiences as well as yeah. you know what I needed today for, for WalkMe. Um, but I think it's important when you're looking at this and listening to this that you think about what's important to your customers and how right. they are going to be successful using your application. So, you know, the metrics here and the gauges here are great for walk me and like they are generic, but you do need to also think about what's relevant to, to your organization. Um, and, and while that this is, you know, we did this for our internal evaluation of our book of business, um, we also need to think about how the customers are going to get the most value out of the partnership with us. So don't, don't right. just think about, you know, what are the gauges, but think about what is going to make your customer successful and how do you monitor that internally to make sure that you're driving the right outcomes for your customer. So a lot of these, the gauges, they're internal gauges, you know, usage and insights, content maturity, uh, engagement, stakeholders and sponsorships and mutual success plan together with the vision and value. They're internal things, but we want to make mm -hmm. sure that we can also articulate them externally to make sure that we're getting you know, the right outcomes for the customers. Um, probably the only gauge on here that's different to for, for walk me to other applications is really that content maturity uh, because yeah. you know the change management but in saying that applications the underlying applications that we work on change all the time so you know there could be i don't want to call it feature adoption because that's that's very generic but there could be something around that um, around making sure you know that uh, your customers on your applications are, are doing the most that they can um, with with all the features and functions that are in there and there might be some that are um, more important than others and that, and that are triggers to um, retention 
and we have some in our own platform that we know are triggers to retention and it's those ones that you want to make sure you're you're monitoring in that in for what for what is for us content maturity you might call it something mm -hmm. else um when when developing establishing this uh, yeah elsewhere. i mean it could be usage maturity it could be feature maturity it could be you know um adoption you know age it could be a lot of different things but i agree i think it should be that one especially to me seems like something that should be very specific to each company and what makes their solution um sticky and useful over time yeah and we've got some things yeah. um in in ours that we report on which are around what make you know, some things that make our application more sticky Secure, mm -hmm. is that even a term? Um, and <laughs> and, uh, and those are things that I'm asking the team to, to watch closely when it comes to grading yeah. the, the content maturity. Yeah. Okay, it's the big last question, Gary. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success today and why? I'm going to start by saying I've listened to many of these podcasts and I thought this was an easy question to answer and I knew <laughs> it was coming. Um, I'm going to maybe flip it a little bit and move away from trend and maybe go into challenge. Um, okay. Only because I think the challenge will become a trend uh, somehow. Yeah. Um, so for me, and what became clear also while, while working on this model is that customer success is part science, part art. Yep. And so there's a lots of, there's no shortage of, of great ideas out in the marketplace today and, and some you know, great thought leadership and, and great ways of that, that customer success is evolving. Um, but the question for me is, is how do you turn that science into practice? How do you turn that theory into something um, that can be a working model for your organization, like what we were just talking about, and therefore have a measurable impact where you're working? So and I think that's where the art part comes in. Now, just yeah. because you know how to hold a paintbrush doesn't mean you know how to be an artist. Right. And, and, I, and I think we need to start thinking about, like, how do we not necessarily consolidate, but how do we grab these ideas, especially ones that resonate for your organization, um, for an individual, for a team, um, bring them in, bring them on, but also give those individuals and teams some freedom to explore and experiment with new ways of engaging and interacting with the customers. You know, they create value to customers. So we need to drive outcomes for our organization using some of these new theories and, and using you know, all the research that we're now getting around the, the value that CS brings. But we also mm -hmm. need to make sure that we've got a little bit of freedom in there to um, to try and see what, what's going to work uh, internally. And those that freedom also then has a long lead time because it takes mm -hmm. time to see the impact of, of those changes, something you, to, you do today in CS and that you continue to do for the next period of time will probably not see results for a couple of quarters right. just because of the time it takes to you know call it build relationships you know evolve in in the way platforms are being used so we need to make we need to find a way of you know, giving people the time and the freedom to experiment giving them the opportunity to sort of take new ideas on and allow them to be creative in in getting those outcomes i love that i mean the art is part of i think the fun of being in our field right now because it, it's impossible, I think, to cookie cutter customer success in the same way that you can kind of cookie cutter sales at this stage, because there's too many variables. There's so many more variables than you have in a, let's say a sales department or in any other established field, because we're dealing with everything from product to 
um, you know, customer segment to, you know, the industry that we're working with to, you know, <laughs> to, to the price point and all of those different variables have to go into the kinds of programs we design. And it looks different for every company because of that. There's so many variables. And so I, I think that's where their art really comes in. So you can listen to this podcast and thank you for doing that. For those of you who are listening to this, um, and you can get all these good ideas, but you have to take them and you have to modify them for your company because you can't just take somebody else's model and apply it and expect it to work. And, and you need to be given the, the time to do that as well. And yeah. the one thing that, the one thing that, miss, that I think you miss there in all the different areas that we touch on is that I think with, in the sales side, there tends to be one or two people involved right. in buying, um, take outside of procurement. Oh, um, yeah. But in CS, you're like we just spoke about, like engagement and stakeholders. Like you were dealing with so many different people on so many different levels. Yeah. <laughs> that adds a level of complexity that just, you know, it's very difficult to just model and say, do this. Right. So and and it's fun too, though. I'm of like, course. I feel like this is part of why I love what we do. I'm sure it's part of why you love what we do too. Definitely, it's it's the um, it's the challenge of, of unraveling that ball of string in a way, um, right? And, and getting and then getting that outcome, getting making sure that they are. I mean, for me, uh, it started a long time ago about when people are buying software, I want them to make sure they're getting the most out of every every feature function that they possibly can mm -hmm. for their organization to get value. I don't want, nobody wants to throw money away and whether you're an individual or a right. corporate. And that's where the fun of CS is. How do you make sure that they're getting the most value um, out of that investment? Yeah, it's exciting. It is. We have a really fun field. <laughs> we do. Challenging and fun at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so Gary, you and I have known each other for years and you're really a pillar of the Australian customer success community. I am so honored that you were willing to be a part of the Transforming Experiences podcast today. So thank you so much for joining me. I've got to say thank you. I was um, honored to be asked. So it goes both ways. <laughs> how, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, for me, the best way is definitely via LinkedIn. Uh, so Gary okay. Rubenstein. Um, so okay. spelling is in the podcast. Um, okay. And I'm in Melbourne, Australia. I think there's a few Garys out there. So look for me. <laughs> awesome. I also want to thank our sponsors, Medallia and the Success League. To learn more about Medallia's customer success solution, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow StrikeDeck on LinkedIn or at StrikeDeck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.